When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Yeah, it was less that I was a songwriter and more that I wanted to be one. As I was disappointed Fair that enough. I wasn't one. Yeah. Okay. And so th- it was a really strange realization because I had no idea how to get there. Like, how do I start writing songs? And that was a fun journey to come across as a total beginner because I was like, okay, let's just copy other people's songs and trade out their lyrics for my own. And let's see if I can do that. So I started doing that a lot. And then as you do that a lot, eventually you start learning how to combine songs and being like, okay, I'm going to do the verse from this one song and the chorus from this other, and I'm making my own Frankenstein with my own lyrics. And then all of a sudden you realize you start changing their chords and now you're changing their melodies and then it becomes this weird robot of a thing. And then from there I started developing some sort of a style. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Set Lusting Bruce, your podcast all about Bruce Springsteen, his music, and mostly his fans. I am your host, Jesse Jackson. We are getting off the Bruce train today, but he will come up as he normally does. And I am talking to a musician that is trying to promote uh, to get his official first album full-length album so connor welcome to the podcast thank you so much for having me jesse yeah tell us a little about yourself yes my name's connor i grew up in lancaster california it's a pretty pretty large desert town north of los angeles spent 18 years there then 11 years in santa barbara california uh did college there worked in tech and then spent six years as a full-time musician then just moved to la in the last year and so that's what i've been doing i've done over a thousand gigs in the last six years put out six eps and continue to write a lot and play out a lot and that's what my life looks like so you definitely are a california guy right i'm a california born and guy. raised okay born and raised. Yep. yeah interesting all right, so I always like to start at the beginning, Connor. Talk about, you mentioned you grew up in California. Yeah. What kind of music was your family listening to when you were uh, a youngster? Yes, my dad 
was addicted to illegally downloading music as soon as Napster came out. He would make these he would make these mixtapes and it was just called Assorted Artists number one through seventeen. And these were like his version of now that's what I call music. And on it it was like there were so many repeats, but it was like the kind of like sticks journey genesis billy joel bruce springsteen was definitely on there as soon as you put on as, as soon as we talked about thunder road i was like oh my god i feel like i'm on a road trip immediately <laughs> i was like a little kid in a car again because i can just i just hear my dad singing it to me <laughs> and it's yeah it's a beautiful like those car rides we we're we're a lake family so Lancaster is a very desert place, so you need to get out of it pretty regularly. We're a boating family, and all lakes are at least an hour and a half to four hours out. So lots of long car rides, lots of dad rock, yacht rock. Very My, my music teacher would call it very honest music. You know, Connor, I'm smiling about your road trip because I remember there is a road trip radio channel on Sirius XM, nice. and you'll hear the bow the like the harmonica starter thunder road and they're like we're playing this one on road trip radio Absolutely. <laughs> so that's pretty good so did you uh first off i yeah napster was streaming before it was streaming i remember searching for mp3 players because if you bought certain mp3 players you were allowed an unlimited downloads on napster right you mm -hmm. didn't have to pay and so that was a fun way to discover new music. Did you embrace your dad's music? Oh, yeah. Or, okay, did you go through a rebellious phrase, a phase ever where you wanted to find your own music? Yeah, so the thing is, I was, like, I've never rebelled against that sound. I love, I, I, I think part of why I love the music that my dad likes is because I just love my dad. Sure. <laughs> so, so like anything that he likes, I want to get behind because he, why he relates to it is even sometimes more interesting than the music itself. So he got really into country and I really hated country for a long time. But then eventually I was just like, you know what, I'm going to give in because it's the music that speaks to my dad. And so I've never had a distaste for any, right. any of these like great songs. Like, I don't know how someone could have a distaste for the Billy Joels and Springsteens, like really amazing songwriters and voices that haven't just, they're the type of people that even if you don't like their vocal tone, you can appreciate their craft as a songwriter and be like, that is, these are really cool pieces. But I did have a, a pretty long, like rap, hip hop, and like screaming rock phase like the big punk pop scene i love all punk pop all of that suburban angst kind of music like that was also my jam so it was less of a rebellion and more of just an add-on i you've articulated really well um that i have two if i tried to put the guest in two big categories it's the ones that expanded and like never abandoned the music they grew up with but then found their own their own voice their own uh, kind of musical muse and then there's others that do that say mm -hmm. when i was a teenager i couldn't stand blank whether it's classic rock whether it's country whether it's jazz whether it's whatever it is 
because I was, I really was into heavy metal or I was into punk or I was into this grunge. Um, yeah. and, and then almost everyone comes back to, depending on how old they are when I talk to them, that they come back and go, yeah, I couldn't stand Johnny Cash when I was a kid, but now then I recognize the greatness of Johnny Cash. Yeah. Or I really didn't like my my mom loved Fleetwood Mac. And I was like, oh, but now that I'm an adult, I go, oh, wow, this is pretty cool. Yeah. So I, I think it's cool. You were just able to just add different music into your likes. Yeah. Did you know you always wanted to make music, Connor? No, no. I was raised to be a volleyball player. Okay. Yeah, that my, my parents met on a volleyball court and they continued to p play that into their like 40s and uh, they made my sister a volleyball player and they made me a volleyball player and I had dreams of playing in college and then I never grew above 5'9", which makes it a really hard sell. And that, that goal probably started sometime in high school, but it wasn't something I was aware of until I started reading back on old journals. I was, by the time I got into college, I started reading back on some of my high school journals and I was like, beating up on myself really hard and being like, oh, another day that I didn't write a song. And I was like, I didn't, <laughs> I never explicitly said I wanted, I didn't know that was what I wanted, but that bit of introspection and like being able to read old journals helped me to see that, oh, this is something that I actually want to do. So maybe I should dedicate some time. What made you someone who wanted to journal that, because I, all of us have gotten diaries or journals for Christmas and it goes maybe a couple weeks, months, and then it's not much to say, right? So it sounds like you, for some reason, stuck to it. Do you have a thought what made you start journaling and why you were able to be consistent Absolutely. if you were? Yeah, yeah. No, I've, I've been like relatively consistent since the time I was 17. I'm 31 now, so 14 years. And the reason why I started was because there were behaviors I was observing in the present in myself that I didn't understand at all. And I was like, part of why I can't understand it is because I don't know what led up to this. And I need to be able to state what's happening, keep a record of what it is that's going on in my life so that I can look back and be like, why was that such a hard time? Like, why, why are there some seasons that are so much harder than others? And a journal allows you to be a little bit more, a little bit more removed and by the numbers and be like, was Q1 actually hard or was I just stressed? And being like, no, Q1 was hard. Q1 was, was tight. And you have more data to round out your narrative. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. 
with Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once, new quick charge function, three customizable sound styles, plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com pantheon. Buyraycon.com pantheon. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. I, I did want to go back to your volleyball. That does sound the most California of California, right? To be your parents being volleyball, you picture having fun in the California sun where you see the sun kiss commercials where tanned bodies with shirtless guys spiking the ball and playing on the beach. It, It is a very image of volleyball. To me, volleyball was playing in the churchyard (laughs) growing up in Louisiana and Kentucky, the Baptist church would have the volleyball nets and I was never good at it. (laughs) Yeah, that's cool. Do you still play every once in a while? I'll hit a ball back and forth with a buddy of mine every once in a while, but I'm mostly a pickleball player now. So (laughs) my, my, my parents got really into pickleball a few years prior to the pandemic and then the pandemic happened and I was like, okay, teach me the sport. And then I played it pretty much every day because there was nothing else to do during the pandemic. So I got really into it and I continue to play that pretty regularly. Oh, very cool. That's nice. Yeah. All right. So you started journaling and you to help explore yourselves and the phases you're going through. And you said you went back and all of a sudden you noticed that unbeknownst you, you were a fledging songwriter. Talk yeah. to me a little bit about that discovery and how you felt yeah it was less that i was a songwriter and more that i wanted to be one as i was disappointed Fair that enough. i wasn't one yeah okay. and so th- it was a really strange realization because i had no idea how to get there like how do i start writing songs and that was a fun journey to come across as a total beginner because i was like okay let's just copy other people's songs and trade out their lyrics for my own and let's see if i can do that so i started doing that a lot 
Um, and then as you do that a lot, eventually you start learning how to combine songs and being like, okay, I'm going to do the verse from this one song and the chorus from this other, and I'm making my own Frankenstein with my own lyrics. And then all of a sudden you realize you start changing their chords and now you're changing their melodies and then it becomes this weird robot of a thing. And then from there I started developing some sort of a style. <laughs> I don't know. Did you play a musical instrument as a kid? Yeah, I was like a little four chord Connor for a very long time. That was, I realized I don't like Is that the album? Of, that's going to be your second album, Four yeah, Chord Connor? Yeah. Four <laughs> Chord Connor, yeah. It that's was, a great title. <laughs> I realized that it didn't take much to impress women for a guitar. Like the voice was the more important thing, it seemed. So I cared a lot more about my voice than anything else musical. And. Yeah, I didn't learn how to sing until my senior year in college. I took a singing class and was like, oh, this is how you sing. But yeah, it was in, it was like towards the end of college that I wanted to learn more chords. What were you majoring in college? Environmental studies. Okay. So I'm laughing at your impressing girls. I've seen Brad Paisley and my others said, Girls will not be impressed that you're good at Guitar Hero, but they will be impressed when you actually play a real guitar. Yeah. Uh, that's nice. Did you just go for a, a vocal class? Just you needed an elective or you subconsciously you've got this itch that maybe I want to do something different? No, I, I really I did want to learn how to sing. I felt like it was something that I had an aptitude for, but I had no actual skill in and no no refined skill i was i was a part of this church group like all four years of being in college and then what happened in my senior year was they had they had been grooming a particular person who was my peer to lead the church band for his senior year and then he ended up leaving in his senior year so they were like connor's the only other guy that can sing i think so we're gonna put him on a stage every week with a band and he'll figure it out and that it was a real sink or swim year. And I really settled into a rhythm of learning how to lead a band and be on a stage every week. And that was, I think that's where I really learned my, my ability to communicate to crowds and my ability to talk while playing and like all, all that kind of stuff that's connecting with an audience. What kind of gigs were you playing in college? None. Okay, you, but but you said there was a choral, so I didn't know if it, the church. It was a church yeah. band that you guys yeah. were playing like for worship service and such. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like a little pair of church. Yeah, it was just like specifically for the college, so it wasn't even associated with a particular church. It was just like a Christian group for a college, and then okay. yeah. So when you got out of school, you weren't thinking about doing this for a living. You wanted to do quote unquote a real job. What talk to me through leaving school? What did you, what were you doing? I had no idea what I wanted to be or do. I just wanted a job somewhere. So my buddy worked at this tech company and he was like, you should come out to this bar with me. All my coworkers are going to be there. I went to the bar, met my soon to be manager. And then she was like, you should interview. And I interviewed with her and got the job like out of college. I graduated a, a full quarter early. I was able to get a head start by a few months and yeah, it was a really good experience. And they were like, do you need, they're like, how soon can you start? And I was like, I'll take, can we get three weeks off? And in that time, which I didn't realize was like a dumb thing to say in an interview, but it was like, what I meant was like, I would like three weeks of doing nothing other than recording the music that I've written so far. 
because I'd written like seven songs and I was like, I want to try to record those and see what happens. And they said yes to the three week break. And I recorded that every day and had a great time and made a little mix CD that I gave out to my friends. And one of my friends made an album cover and I like took it to Kinko's and burned CDs off my laptop. And yeah. I, I love that. That's great. Did, um, so you've joined the tech world. Did you keep doing music part-time as a hobby? Yes. So I was pretty scared of the nine to five just because of what I had heard. There's just plenty of stories of what a nine to five does to, to you and your spirit. And I was like, okay, gotta keep the spirit alive. So I'm going to bike to work. I'm going to leave on my bike at 6 a.m. I'm going to start work at 7 and then I'm going to bike back and then I'm going to I'm not going to songwrite every day and my goal is going to be 40 songs in 6 months and I would just sit in the bathroom and write songs every day and that was my life bike to work work bike back write and then every once in a while I'd have a gig and that was like that was happening like once a month and then once a week and then three times a week. And that's when I really was at a pivot point to, to leave. Do you know, and maybe this is unfair, but is there a moment, is there a song where something clicked and said, I might be good at this? Yeah, I, yeah, yes and no, because I, the first time that I wrote a song, I felt electric about it. Like I really liked it. A lot of people don't like it to this day, but I really care about it because it was something that I was processing through and it allowed me to get out some imagery that I found was really meaningful to myself. And I thought if songwriting can do this for me, if I can make a song that I'm the only audience for, and, but it really does mean something to me, that's cool. It, it's custom built for my experience. And if other people were to latch onto that's amazing. But I would like the whole point of the 40 songs in six months was like, if I can't make an album that people will like out of 40 songs, then I'll quit. And so I wrote 40 songs, put out what I thought were the best six, and then handed it to people. And they were like, this is good. Like you should keep doing this. And, um, that was really what like let the snowball continue to roll. So now we're like 315 songs in and it's like, you just continue and <laughs> you look back and cringe and then you <laughs> continue to write regardless. The, I have a really good friend who is an artist and he talks about that. One of the reasons he'll never get a tattoo is that he could not see being an artist, not using his own art as a tattoo and and he's never drawn anything that two years later he doesn't wish he could redraw how is that about music is there a, when j michael Stravinsky, the guy who did babylon 5 a lot of stuff he quotes some philosopher says artists never finished it's abandoned mm. so how do you feel about that are, are there songs that you go yep that one was a good one or Eh, this one was okay. I love the idea. I'm going to do 40, then raise up what will be my top ones. Yeah. Talk to me a little bit about that process. Yeah, I think so. 
for all of the work that I've put out in the past, it's been like write 40 songs, show your best six, write 40, right. put another six out. So like, I'm always trying to show what I'm most proud of, which is why it's even more, de more devastating when I look back and be like, wow, some of these, some of the six that I picked, I really don't like them anymore. And being like, that's fascinating to me that I've moved on. But I think there's, I think there's a real beauty in some of the ugliness that I've produced because it, I wouldn't be able to, there, there is some beauty to breaking form in an egregious way. Like some of the stuff that I made, it doesn't have a hook. It doesn't go quickly into the chorus. It like really meanders and takes its time. And it, there's just like random extra bars here and there. And I, I don't allow myself that freedom all the time now versus then I didn't know what I was doing. So it's just, I don't know, make a meandering song, make a, I, I was just trying a bunch of stuff. And now the more you learn about the form, the harder it becomes to break the form regularly. So the more unknowingly stuck you become. And I think that's what's so beautiful about that. The first couple records is there's no sense of who is this artist. It's just, it's just, I don't know. We're making songs in tons of different styles and let's see what we are. Cause I don't have a sound. I don't know what my sound is like. And I think that's, I admire that kind of freedom and I like want that kind of freedom now with the knowledge that I have. Now, I was going to ask you, Connor, that there are a early, a Billy Joel song sounded like a Billy Joel song. Hmm. A, a ZZ Top song sounds like a ZZ Top song. A Bruce song sounds like a Bruce song. Whatever you want it. And then only later in their career, you do things. And I just had Warren Zanes on the podcast. He has written a new book about Nebraska cool. and about how, where Bruce was creatively and emotionally writing a album that is in a lot of ways imperfect. And in the imperfectness is what makes it great. Yeah. Do you have that feeling that? you want to try to find a style or do you like the diversity and keep want to pursue that and i don't think that's a or b right i think you can do a blend of it but just i'm yeah. curious your thoughts on that yeah i think like traditionally it's important that an artist have a particular sound because that becomes your brand and then people know somewhat what to expect you would want a Bruce Springsteen song to sound like Bruce, right? But yeah. I'm sure he was capable of writing songs for other people as well and in other voices. And that's where the, that's like a different business of being a writer, of being like, I have all these other songs that don't fit my voice, but I think would be good for you. And so being able to sell those off and to assist other artists in their journeys through that. So I, I am interesting and I, I am interested in pursuing both, but I have found more of my own style within this within this indie rock vein and one of my favorite bands who i emulate a lot they're called the gaslight anthem they're like huge like they they list bruce springsteen as like the number one influence so it's yeah, I, I do think it falls slightly under that umbrella though it's quite removed yeah they very much talk about bruce being a major influence i have a real good friend named sarah hickman who started her first album came out in 1989 it was an independent label. She financed herself and went through a different career. And one of the problems I think she had is 
every album was different. Yeah. And every song was different. Yeah. And she embraced that. She didn't want to do this. She had a slight radio hit. I couldn't help myself. And she was on electric records, but she did every, she wanted to do different songs. Mm -hmm. And I think sometimes you have to find the middle ground because you want commercial success because you want people to hear your music. Right. Right. This is, there is something good about people. You want them to hear your music because you want to share it, but at the same time, you don't want to just go through the motions. Right. So talk to me a little bit about that, that balancing act. Yeah. I think a big way to avoid going through the motions is to like, there's, I do think there's so much musical territory to explore, but there's also so much emotional territory to explore. And I think there's ways that you can, as an indie rock artist, bring in like classical influence. Like you can bring in like hip hop influence. You can, there are ways to incorporate other genres and other things. So for me, I really care about like constantly learning, like making sure that I'm like, still keeping it fresh so that I have other ideas to add to my own. Because whatever I put out is oftentimes going to sound like the stuff that I write these days often comes out pretty indie rock. So like, how can I incorporate the concepts I'm learning to these things? And then that's like the musical side. And then there's also like, how am I emotionally growing? And how can I incorporate these new areas into into my writing. I just, in the last few years, started realizing, oh, I'm a brown person. I've always seen myself as a white person, but I'm like, oh, but I'm a brown person. Like, I, that's how I come off to people, but I have a white dad, so I just assumed I was white. But it's, oh no, I come off as a brown person. That's interesting. And so I've started to write more about my perspective of, or like my experience of race. And that's, there's a lot of, I think there's endless ground emotionally if you're paying attention and you have to actively increase your education as a as an artist who are your influences connor yeah i the one of the one of the big ones as i started my career was ed sheeran just because i like saw you just see a one person with a guitar and a loop pedal taking up a big stadium and being like okay i think i can buy a loop pedal i can do that so i was like I was following that model, other folk artists like the Lumineers, and then I turned more Americana through Shaky Graves, he's based out in Austin, and I've always loved Hosier, he's an Irish artist that I've followed for a long time now, and there's my my music teacher, he, he and his brother were in charge of the music for a Cartoon Network show called Over the Garden Wall, and they, that's one of the most beautiful soundtracks I've ever heard in my life, and okay. it's like very transformative for me and it's dark and it's eerie and it's beautiful and light all at the same time and and yeah they're a big influence on me i i like this new record we're making they're like helping out they're featured on it that's also really cool but also everything the heart of what i do i'm the son of a dad who cared a lot about what lyrics meant and like my i i think that's one of my biggest motivators is just like what is it what is the song about and what is it propagating in, in the world? And I, yeah, so I, I just think that like that eighties, nineties and now radio, like really soaked into my head and yeah, writing, writing songs that, that means something. 
Uh, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Okay, you mentioned the album. Let's talk about it. You mentioned you're trying to promote and fundraise. Talk to me how you're doing this and what's going on. Yeah, so I started a GoFundMe in beginning of May for for my first full-length record. Again, I've been putting out EPs for the last six years, and those have all been self-funded through like doing weddings and background gigs and whatever. But the what I've been avoiding about doing a full-length album is it's twice the songs at least, so it's twice the cost at least. Sure. And that's it's been going pretty well. We're raising money. You can look at updates on my website, connorcharlin.com. And the these songs, there there's 10 songs that I wrote in the last maybe eight months. And they were like, in, in probably from like November till March, I had written 50. And I found that there were 10 that really matched a particular theme of encapsulating the season of observing grief and observing a lot of my friends and family members who had a dream, achieved the dream, and watched the dream fade. And that is, I think, a really tough cycle that we don't get to talk about a lot as a society. Some things we just don't get to do in life, and that's sad, but it's some things you do get to do in life, and then you watch the decline. And that is a, it's a very, it's a very common but not talked about type of, of grief. And there's, there's so many ways in life that happens and so this album tries to cover that and it's not it, it isn't like a downer record there's lots of really like fun songs to listen to but those are some of the themes what are you gonna call it i think i'm gonna call it lake Lake makes sense yeah. yeah the being on the lake like we talked about road trips to the lake the lake is a very important place for me and my family and it's where my parents live now they're in lake lake havasu city so it's it continues in to Arizona be in Arizona. Okay. Yeah, so it continues to be this hub for events. I got engaged on a lake. We you like yeah, went to a funeral on a lake. There's mm. yeah, there's a lot there's a lot in that area now. So let's talk about I've got the GoFundMe up. Let's talk about and I will include the link in the show notes. Talk about some of the tiers. What are some of the things you're offering? to people that help fund your this first album for yourself. Yeah, I think for for anybody listening right now, like you probably haven't heard of me before, a really cool way to pre-order the album and support me a ton is like $25 and I'll send you the album and that just helps me a ton. Every bit of this money goes toward the people who are recording the record, like people, who, the actual players, it's not just supporting me, it's supporting a whole musician ecosystem. For $50, I'll add in any item of merch. I have shirts, I have these cool mugs that say a lyric from my previous record. We're getting, the album art is going to be an actual 12 by 12 inch fine art piece that my buddy Joe is doing. He's a teacher at a local college and an actual fine artist. He's in like multiple galleries across the country. And he agreed to toss in his talents for free. And he's like doing the album art. And the, so the, I think the prints are going to look really good. That's all included with a hundred dollars. And yeah, it goes all the way up till 5,000, 1,000, whatever at that point where it's crazy. And I just, I, yeah. Tell me what you want. You want to give me 5k? We'll figure out. We'll, yeah, we'll yeah, make you, something you, special for you, right? You give me 5k, I'll make a custom song for you. I'll yeah. let you add to the album. I'll let you, yeah. I'll come to you and say thank you and play a concert for you, whatever. But That's awesome. Uh, yeah. 
That's great. So once again, the what's the best way to get to the GoFundMe link? Yeah, just connorsherland.com. You can just type in my last name into the internet, share like the singer, land like the ground. Okay. Uh, yeah, that's the easiest way to find me. I'm the only Sherland Super. out there, really. All right. So, Connor, what's next for you? What do you want to do next? What's next for me after this album? There's going to be, obviously, there's going to be some touring. There's going to be a lot of shows. There's going to be a lot of videos coming out because there's a lot of this will be recorded live. So you'll get cool live footage of the recordings, but there's also going to be music videos attached and there's going to be like new merch that comes out with this record as well. So there's a lot of designing and project management in my near future. I'm going to go. I'm going to be up in San Francisco touring late June, end of summer, mid-August. I'm hoping to tour with The Blasting Company. They're the band that's featured on my record. So it's, in in simple terms, it's writing, playing. Like, that's always, and now, like, in, a, in an album cycle, it's marketing as well. So it's, those are, like, the three things that I largely do. And, yeah, I really do love my job. And, yeah, and I'm, I am really excited to, to put out this record for people. Yeah, I, I can't wait to hear about it. I'm going to certainly go and support it. I, I just, I, I, I think this is, your, it's a cool story. And I love that I've been able to spend some time visiting with you and talking about you. Um, what should I have asked you, Connor, that I haven't? What should you have asked me? You've done a great job. You're very present in this conversation, which is very refreshing. That's <laughs> not always the case. Thank you very much. That is always kind to say. I, I honestly love talking to people, right? Let's talk. You, you've talked about you're going to do some gigs. Have you gone to any other gigs? Have you have you seen Bruce on this tour? I have not. No, I all, all my money is going into this record at the moment. So <laughs> people are like, oh, have you gone? Have you have you like done this thing? And I'm like, I'm, Eddie, I'm, I'm, I'm I feel like eating, it's a bad look. To I am eating peanut a, butter and jelly sandwiches, putting every penny into this this album. I get yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I totally get it. That yeah. sounds super. Yeah. That's great. Though, yeah, I would love to. That'd be so yeah. cool. Yeah. That's great. That's good. All right. I will include the show notes in the show notes where you can go to the GoFundMe page. There is also an option if you just want to kick some money in just to help uh, because you are a kind soul. But yeah, let's let's support Connor and his music and let's do what we can. Thank so before you. I let you go, though, yes, I got to ask you the Mary question. So Absolutely. if you are a fan of Connor's and you're checking out this podcast for the first time, First, I want to say thank you. I appreciate it. Secondly, Connor has made you very proud. You should be very proud of your guy, Connor. But I end every podcast with what we call the Mary question. Wow. Jay Armstrong, who is a retired honors English teacher, when he was teaching, he would print out the lyrics to Thunder Road, would give it to all his class, and they would break it apart as if it was a poem. They would look at the imagery. They would look at Bruce's word choices. And they would discuss the themes. And at the end of the two days, he would ask his class, does Mary get in the car? So, Connor, that is your question. Yeah. Does Mary get in the car at the end of Thunder Road? Yeah, I felt a strong no Okay, um, was my main thing. And I, the reason why is because there's so much th – there is – imagery of her being like a believer like in in the artist and like in the people who like see themselves as bigger than they are 
but I feel like there's so many signs of her not being a believer in these people and like having this doubt that can't be overwritten. And I think for that reason, it just doesn't make sense for her to all of a sudden change the way that she's been acting. Historically, she has not gotten in the car with the other people. And I think that for, for that reason, she wouldn't look at Bruce on a, in a different way because she comes from a town full of losers. And I think when you come from a town full of losers, you don't see anybody as a hero if as long as you're like from there. So it's no one from that town. Again, this is me assuming that he's also from that town. But no, I, I that's a great answer. I appreciate it, Connor. That's a wonderful answer. Um, I, uh, you know, about 60% of my guests say she gets in the car. Oh, about wow. 40% say don't. So, yeah, so it because every once in a while I'll get someone that goes, I don't think she does. Or is your listeners going to be unhappy? I'm like, no, it's almost 60, 40 is pretty close. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. So that's great. All right. It's ConnorCherlin.com. Is that the best to go to hear, check out some of your music? Absolutely. Yeah, you can find me on Spotify, on YouTube, or wherever it is that you get your music. You can always just type in my last name into the internet, and okay. it'll, it'll point you the right direction. All right. Connor, this was a lot of fun. I appreciate Thank you taking you. some time to visit with me. Listeners, go check out the GoFundMe page. Go check out Connor's music. Leave a note to him and tell him that you found him because of Set Lusting Bruce. And for now, be kind, be safe, and we'll talk to you soon. Goodbye. Goodbye. There we go. Another episode. I'm about to go through a couple of things where you can reach me and give me feedback. Um, so if you want to skip this, I understand. But I do hope you check it out every once in a while. I'm available on Twitter at Jesse Jackson DFW. The show is available at SetLustingBruce. You can send me an email, setlustingbruce at gmail.com. You can send me a voicemail at 469-249-2442. I am currently doing a few other podcasts, perfectly good podcast, John Hyatt from A to Z, where Sylvan Groth and I discuss every John Hyatt song in alphabetical order. My Babylon 5 podcast is Last Best Hope for Conversation, where Lou, Karen, and I discuss every episode of Babylon 5 in chronological order. I still am doing Next Stop Everywhere, the Doctor Who podcast with my brother in time, Charles Skaggs. And then finally, How Many Podcasts, the only podcast on the internet that counts, where my buddies and I discuss pop culture. You can go to our Patreon page and support the podcast for as little as a dollar a month. You can go to our Facebook page, like, and please, please go to iTunes or wherever you get your podcast and leave a five-star rating and review for all of the podcasts that I'm doing. It's okay if you don't listen to them, but if you subscribe and rate, it really will make my day better. Thank you, and I will talk to you soon. You just heard the fun talking, hard rocking, music loving, album ranking, fan thinking, joy spreading, lyric reading, story sharing podcast that is the one, the only. 
Fat Listening Bruce. The theme for Set Lessing Bruce was written by David Rosen, used by permission. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.